Thanks for, uh, for uh, listening. And truly, this, it's a joy to do this with you. Um, I, I've been using this word a lot this morning, power. We're talking about superheroes and their powers because today we're continuing our series, uh, The Gospel Changes Everything, which will take us through the next about month until we hit our Christmas series, which we'll hear a little bit more about in the coming weeks. But this series is just to stop and say, let's not forget the gospel changes everything. We've talked about how the gospel changes our purpose, where we find wisdom. It's changed how we think about politics. And today we're going to look at how it how it changes power. When I was a kid, um, I uh, had friends who loved Power Rangers. I think it's one of these. Ah, I always point the wrong way. See these guys? Oh my goodness. L- like loved them. We talk about them. Halloween. That's who they dress up as. Oh, I'm the pink one. I'm the yellow. I'm the yellow one. Whatever. I don't know how they all work. Totally. And I would talk. And I would say, Ugh, so lame. I'm sure I use the word lame. These are they're silly. They're dumb. Why would you watch the Power Rangers? That's for little kids. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are for like real men, right? But then I got to confess something. That's just what you want to hear, right? Your pastor say, I got to confess something. I got to confess something. I would secretly watch Power Rangers. I'd find times to watch the reruns of them. Uh, or I remember times where uh, someone else would be watching them and I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to watch this. I'm going to do something else. And then I'd secretly watch because I, I loved them. What I loved the giant dragon suits. I loved the smoke and the explosions. I love the sped up fight scenes, so they look like they're really fighting fast. I oh, I love that. This seemed like ordinary people, like I got transformed into these fighting machines. I love that they work together to have to fight, you know, the whatever, those foamy mascot looking people. It's sounding lame now. The more I talk about it, it is sounding lame. I think we love these stories. I know we love these stories. We love huge fran- movie franchises about the Avengers and about Batman and about all these people fighting for what's right, right? Fight, fighting to save the world, to he- bring healing, to innovate, ultimately to fight off the evil around us. It's it's built into us, right? We love the Avengers. We love Black Panther, right? Wakanda forever. We love Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Oh, the Avengers of Narnia. We love to see Luke Skywalker and his space friends, right? Fight people. Because we love, and I think we are created to love a story where we see power being used to defend and heal and grow and transform a world. It's, it's wired into us because it is the story of us, of God's people and his creation and our God. So it's that, it's that hint, even if it's watching the Power Rangers, you're not getting like a gospel presentation from that. I'm sure there's probably some Christian version of Power Rangers, but we're, but even in that, just watching that, we go, yeah, something is right about that. It's because of, we are wired to see power used for what it was intended to be used for and what, what God's power does. And so we get hints of that around us and it, it, it ignites these fires and it's like, yeah, that's right. And so today we're going to look at what does that look like? What does power look like? And we see in scripture this gospel power and this worldly power. 
We see a godly, Holy Spirit-driven gospel power. We see a worldly power, people who empower. We're going to look today, just, we're just going to look at a story of Peter and John that really shows this power off and how it looks different. And I want us to consider then at the end, which power are we seeking and why? Um, and so today we're going to continue our <coughs> series in the gospel changes everything. And we're going to look at power. There's two places in scripture that we see, um, or not two places. We see two words used for the word power in the new Testament. Um, the first word is this word. This is the cool Greek word. Um, this is exousia, exousia. Um, and this word uh, often is used as the word authority. So the word isn't always translated power, but it means power. And this one means the authority. So like a person gets put into power, the position, and also the source of the power. Like where is it coming from? So exousia is really where is your power coming from? What's the source of of your power, the position that you've been given in power. And the other place that we see the word power used is this word, dunamis. Dunamis is like the actual work of the power, the actual power. Sometimes this is the word that we think of more, what we're actually able to do. So in scripture, it's often what God is doing. So God gives people, he's the source of the power, and then he gives people the power to go do things. Deutimus is often the word when we even see the word miracle, like a miracle happened or miraculous things happened. It's actually God's power happened in scripture, which is really cool. So it's this, it's this idea that there's a source for our power, and then there's the actual work of the power. And we're going to look at what is, what is the gospel? Where does the source come from? Right? It's from God and the actual work of it. What does it look like when that power comes through? And what does it look like when there's just worldly power? And what does the work of, of that worldly power often look like? So that's our hope today. Let's uh, hop into scripture here. I'll, I'll try to put a lot of the passages uh, on the screen, or most of them. Uh, we're just going to look at the story uh, of Acts. We're going to jump through some passages in the first few chapters of Acts. Look at the beginning of the church. As we're thinking about our, uh, I was reminiscing this week. I don't know if it's reminiscing. It's only months. But back a few months as we started our church and our dream, uh, it was fun to read through the beginning of, of the Christian church in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is in the New, New Testament. We got four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are the story, the narrative of Jesus being born and all the work he's done in him, dying on a cross, raising from the dead, rescuing us, and then him setting his church in motion um, and what that looks like in Acts as Jesus ascends to heaven and then now his church is doing his work. Um, so we start right here in Acts 1 and we're looking at verse 6 through 8. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're asking this question. We've been talking about this for a few weeks. They're asking him the question, are you going to now put are you going to now be put into power and restore Israel to this, its own nation and have its own power, right? They're asking that question of like, who's now going to be in power? But they're think this is a, this question is a lot more of like a worldly power. 
And Jesus then responds to them. He says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, his own power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus does here as they say, when are you going to restore, give power back to some people here? Maybe even you can be the right king. And he says, it's not for you to know when, when that happens. But God is the one who's going to give the power, the authority. And he's the one, who, and you're going to receive, this is the other word for power. You're going to receive the actual work of that power um, through the Holy Spirit. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to go not just to Jerusalem, not just to, to, to God's people here in Israel, but you're going to go throughout the whole world and bring that power, that power that saves and heals and, and changes lives. So Jesus tells them this power will come, but that purpose of that power is to, to bring God's power, which changes and heals and saves people. He's saying this power is going to come and you're going to use it to bring the good news, the gospel. And that power does come. And then we see right after this, that power comes and it fills uh, this group of people. And Peter walks outside filled with this power now. He's now been given the power, and then he uses the power to preach the gospel, and he tells a whole crowd of people about Jesus, that he's, that he's rescued them, that joy comes through him. And it says 3,000 people turn from whatever they were worshiping and put their faith in Jesus, really changed where, they, where their power lied, where their power was from and how it worked. And then after this happens, we see Peter and John walking together one day. One day, Peter and John were walking up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now remember, now they are filled with that power. And they walk up to a man. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg uh, from those going to the temple courts. Now this man, every day, someone carried him to this temple, hoping that people would be walking by and they'd be generous to give him uh, things. So he sees Peter and John walking up, about to enter, and he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and as did John. If you're wondering, John also looked straight at him. I like that extra note. Then Peter said, look at us. See, so he says, I need money. He's looking around. Hey, anyone have money for me? I'm looking anything. He's laying on the ground. He cannot walk. And they look at him and say, look at us. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He is expecting what? What would you expect? I'd expect to get exactly what I've been begging for and been receiving for many years. Later in this passage, we're going to learn he was about 40 years old. For a long time, someone carried me here and I was given things. And he's asking for money. Why money? Because money gives me the power to buy food, to survive, to pay for rent, whatever that looks like, right? To maybe pay the people who are helping care for him, maybe pay for his family. Because money does provide power, right? It provides power for our worldly pursuits, for our survival. And so he's asking, can you just give this to me? So at least right here 
in this world, at least in, the, in this physical place, I can receive this thing that allows me to have some power. We, we would assume, right? That's probably not what Peter's going to do. So Peter says to him, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. I don't have that those things that bring power, but I do have something I can give to you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So I'm not going to give you money that will continue to help you survive as a man who, who has legs don't work. Instead, I'm going to say, in the name of Jesus, through Jesus's power, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Do you see this? Can you imagine this moment? The man thinks he's about to get money and these two people say, oh, I, I don't have money, but how about this? Walk. And they reach out their hand and they pick you up. They helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. All these people have been walking by this man for years, seeing him lay there, not strong enough to stand, and then they turn around and hear someone praising God, walking, not just walking, jumping and praising God. Then all the people saw him walking and praising. They recognized him as the same man who sat begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter gave him otherworldly power, gospel power, because it's from a king who is otherworldly. Now, how did he use that power? Now, this is where we think about. He could have given him money, which would have allowed him to survive, could have helped him. Instead, he gives him what he has, which is gospel power. And how does the gospel change power in this moment? It heals a man. It brings jumping and praising. It brings joy to him. Could you imagine the moment? 40 years of life, you can't walk, and suddenly you can walk. You're not thinking, oh, I wish he had given me some money. All I wanted was money, man. Thanks for the walk, but I wanted some money. He's jumping around. Not only that, it brings wonder and amazement, it says, to those around him. The power went through into him and healed him, but it actually brings even things to other people. It brings transformation and it brings changed lives. Gospel power changes lives and brings transformation. It's an incredible moment, right? You think after this, there'd be everybody would come to Peter and John and want healing, want this power. They'd want to know Jesus. But the people in that area who were in power, the people who had authority, were not happy with what Peter and John were doing. Word began to spread then after this of this work that had happened. It seemed to carry this very powerful work that thousands of people were turning to follow. I'm sure they were feeling frustrated. Imagine the people in power. We're about to see their response to this. They spent how much time and effort planning and plotting to get rid of Jesus so that his power would not take over their power, right? So they wouldn't lose their power. And they even got to the point they actually did kill Jesus. How frustrating that you killed Jesus. You think it was all done and it didn't end. 
The power struggle between worldly power and gospel power didn't end because Jesus rose from the dead and now gave that power to his people. These people were in charge and now these disciples of Jesus were causing problems for them, were really threatening their power. People began to follow John, Jesus, through John and Peter and the other and the other members of the church. And they then begin to believe their religious leaders maybe weren't obeying God, maybe weren't following the way they were supposed to, maybe weren't using the power they were given from God to bring healing and care and transformation, but maybe just building themselves up. And these people began to worry they were going to lose their power. And this is what that looks like right after this. This is what it looks like. The priests and the, and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John. These are the people who are the religious leaders and the community leaders. While Peter and John were talking to people. Imagine they're talking to people. Of course there's a buzz going on. What is going on? What are they probably telling the people? They're probably telling the people the gospel. They're trying to infuse that power of the gospel in more people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. What was their response to seize them, put them in jail? But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Peter and John are in a group. This is, re- this is real. They're in a crowd talking about Jesus, and they're saying, you've got to stop them from talking about Jesus. It's going to mess up our power. It's going to mess up what we get. It's going to mess up our positions. And what do we do? We, uh, let's throw them in jail. We have the power to do that. Let's throw them in jail. And in all of that, what happens? Does it quiet? No. There's 5,000, so maybe 2,000 more people. This is a crazy amount. This is a mega church in an instant is created in this moment, just from John and Peter sharing really from the power of God moving through all these people's hearts. This is powerful stuff. Even jailing them apparently didn't stop that. These people hear the gospel. They believe their hearts, their motives, their purposes, their eternity changes through that power. And people with their power, these leaders think, we'll use our power to stop this. It seems silly from this side, right, of the story to, to go, what are you thinking is going to do? That's going to do. These people's allegiance changes to Jesus, which scares these leaders. So what happens the next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. So all these rulers, the people in charge, Annas, the high priest, was there, so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. These are the same people, if you remember the story of uh, the, not long before this, when Jesus was arrested, these are the same people who were there, who were behind that plot and that plan to try to stop God's power. It did not work. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. So now John and Peter are standing face to face with the rulers. One power versus another power, face to face. And what question do they ask him? By what power or name did you do this? By what? This is the, this is the, the words they're using. By what? Dunamis. By what working of power or by what 
authority, of source of power did you, who gave you the power to do this and what is it that does this? Who gave this to you? And how does it, how does it work itself out? It's an interesting question, right? They know, they know, they know what's going on. There's a power here. What, what is this from? I don't know if they're, I don't know if they really are asking it because they've seen Jesus do his miracles, use his power, and they have killed him and he rose from the dead. Many, many saw him raised from the dead. Right? I, they, they need them to say something here that would then incriminate them so they could arrest them and maybe get rid of these guys as well. So what happens? I love this. Then Peter, if you read Acts, uh, written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, just to clarify, Peter, filled with the Spirit, the power of God in him, does it get you excited even like to hear that? What is he about to say? Well, whatever he's about to say, it's because the Spirit is in him. This is going to be good. He says to them, rulers and elders of the people, those in power, if, you were, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, it's being very clear here. If you're asking us what happened when we were kind and healed a man who couldn't walk, then know this, you and all of the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Like that little addition there. Not just Jesus, 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 remember him, the one you killed, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Do you hear what, what Peter's response is to the power? Who gave you this power? Well, you used your power to kill, and God used his power to raise from the dead. That's how this works. You use your power to destroy, tear down, to, to try to build yourself up, Jesus and God uses his power to bring things back to life and to heal. What, what an amazing moment, right? Can you imagine how angry these leaders would have been? He just called them out in front of people. You killed Jesus, but your power is not powerful enough to, to just keep him dead because God can raise him. Your power is small compared to God's great power to bring back the dead. He goes on, he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we can be saved. The power to save, to heal, gospel power comes only through Jesus. This is why I love this moment. He says then, when they saw, these are the leaders, saw Peter and John, they realized and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let's pause here for a minute. This is the leader, the, these rulers who are ruling with power, not of God's power, but of power really to, to, to gain for themselves. They're giving themselves power. And they're using that power for themselves. They realize, though, they see it's it, it's undeniable that these are ordinary people, unschooled. They haven't been trained in the ways of a of a good rabbi or a good religious teacher 
or especially a leader, they're ordinary people that must have been with Jesus because this is Jesus' power. How, what an encouraging thing. I, this encourages me because I'm an ordinary person who doesn't really know what's going on, who feels like he stumbles around through life, and I'm told it's not about you being powerful. It's about you actually being weak so God's power can work through you. I have one of my heroes, not a actual superhero, but a um, hero kind of in the faith is Charles Spurgeon. I actually just got my Charles Spurgeon bobblehead in the mail. I've been pumped about this. Hey, everybody. He has this fantastic quote. Spurgeon is talking to, to um, about preaching, but this really applies to all people. He, listen to this. He says, the gospel is preached in the ears of all men. It only comes with power to some. The power that is in the gospel, listen to this, does not lie in the eloquence of a preacher. Otherwise, men would be converters of the soul. So you say it's not in the how great they can talk, how eloquent their words are. Otherwise, preachers, men would be the ones who'd change souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it could consist of the wisdom. It doesn't, it's not because that preacher knows a whole lot and is imparting his wisdom. Otherwise, it's, again, my power changing people. We might preach till our tongues rotted, till we should exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless we, unless uh, there were mysterious power going with it. The Holy Spirit changing the will of man. Oh, sirs, we might well preach to stone walls as preach to humanity, unless the Holy Ghost be with the word to give it power to convert the soul. Those are good words. A reminder of exactly what we're seeing here. Only if the power of the Holy Spirit, only if God's power is working through, that is what changes people. That's what transforms hearts. That's what uh, saves people. It's Jesus' power, which might, let's, let's pause for a minute. You might not like that feeling, but I want it to be my power. I want people to say, man, look at that. Look at Drew. He is so eloquent. Uh, no one's ever used that word for me. Look at look at how he uses his words. Look at his cool pictures. He pops up. He finds gifts on the internet and pops them up. Ooh, that's changing people's hearts. The power of God changes people's hearts. I might feel. Ugh, I want people to, to to like me and want my power. But if I can stop, I really don't know what I'm doing. Thank God it's his power. Because that means I just get to faithfully share what God's doing and the good news of Jesus with people and love people and show kindness and see them healed through God's power. And then God changes them. What a burden that takes off of us. It gives us, for me, at least, it gives me a boldness that I can go and talk to people because it's not me, but God doing it. When I know that Jesus can heal, make things right, transform hearts, and that I don't have to be in charge, it doesn't have to be my way, I don't have to be better, that really takes a burden off of me. And I, now I'm free to do great work in his name. Let's get back to see what happens here um, uh, in this passage. They saw the courage of these men. Uh, 
which I, I mean, I just am so encouraged by that. Um, but since we could see the men who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say as well. They ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. I, the guy who was healed, he's standing right there. He's not sitting. He's standing next to them. It's clear this power does work. It did something. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. We got to stop this, though. How? We can't deny it. Then they called them again and commanded them to not speak or teach all at all in the name of Jesus. You don't, don't, don't miss this. They did not deny that Jesus was doing this. Because they cannot deny it. They just want it stopped because this threatens their power and their prestige and, and their possibility of moving up the ranks and becoming the ones in charge even more. Even though they knew Jesus' power was real and, the, and it was healing their people, their worldly power became more important. So let's ask this question about ourselves. When do you know that Jesus could heal, make right, or transform your life or those around you, but we're unwilling to give up our own power. You'd rather see your glory grow than Jesus's. Because I like to be in charge. I like things my way. I like to feel like I'm better. When do we, it's not even, it's not even necessarily, ah, oh, I don't think that happens. It's like, eh, I know that Jesus could do that, but I would rather be the one in control or in power. As their story kind of comes to an end today, we see how Peter and John reply. Peter and John reply, when asked to no longer speak of Jesus, what is right in God's eyes, they said, to listen to you or to listen to God? Who has the authority here? Do we have to listen to what you say or to God, the creator of all things? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's almost a little dig on them. We've, how can you not talk about this? This is what your job is, is to tell people of what God is doing and that they would turn to God. It's the one thing. And you have this other power that you want to hold on to. After further threats, Whatever those threats, I don't know what they're going to threaten them with, but they're going to lay out some more threats. They let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who, man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. They don't know what to do because everyone is with Peter and John. If they punish them, everyone's going to be upset with them. They're stuck. They, they do have the option to say, what if we all turn to that power? But they can't let go of the power they had. Now, what, what, what happens now? They go and they say, okay, we, um, we can't talk about this. We're going to get in trouble. They threaten us with some things. I think I would maybe find other people to do it. Maybe we can find some other people who want to get hurt or arrested or in trouble. Maybe I'll move somewhere else where they'll let me talk about this. 
my response would not necessarily be what they responded, but if they were filled with God's power, not worried about their power or their lives, but worried about God's power, things look different. And so the end of this, we see this really cool thing happen. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. They, they didn't even like hold that from the people so that the people wouldn't be scared. Hey, they said they're going to like hurt us and arrest us and who knows if we keep talking about Jesus. When they heard this, what was their response? Let's go back and get them. Let's take, let's take them on. Let's leave. Let's, Let's have a series of committee meetings to figure this out. Their first response is they raise their voices in prayer to God. And what does their prayer look like? Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant. Our father, David, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You see what they're doing there? They're saying their first part of their prayer is they're reminding themselves of who God is. You are a creator who has always held the power in this world, and you have made all things happen, even when Herod and Pontius Pilate thought they were using their power to kill Jesus, that was actually part of your power to rescue your people. They thought killing Jesus would kill this movement. In fact, killing Jesus allowed God to use his power to raise Jesus and raise everybody in God's family with him. Part of his great, powerful rescue plan. And that God is still in control. And that power is so much greater. And now, under, and now Lord, they say, they pray in, in verse 29, consider their threats and enable your servants. Consider the threats against us. And I would pray, please protect us. Please don't let us get hurt. Their prayer is, uh, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Lord, they're threatening to hurt us. Don't let that stop us from bringing your power to the people. Give us boldness in our words. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders for the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where their meeting was shaken, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see what happens there? Do you see the prayer they pray? Lord, continue to do what you're doing. Don't let these people trying to, to use their power to stop us. Don't allow that to stop us from using your power to bring healing and transformation, to unburden the people of sin and death, and to bring people into your family. Don't allow their power that kills to stop us from proclaiming your power, which brings life. The gospel changes everything. It changes how we pray because we're praying to a God who has the power to bring life to all things. We're praying against a power that can corrupt and hurt and divide and tear down and even kill. We're praying with a power that transforms and brings life. As, as, as we wrap up, I want to ask you to consider this. 
it's easy to think in a very macro level on this. Oh, there are those big, mean corporations, those people, the, historically the people who have used their power to hurt and oppress people. Yes, yes, yes. But let's stop and just consider in your own life. Change your own life. Let's. What does it look like for you to be changed by God's power and and those people just around you? What happens when you see your kid misbehaving this afternoon? You want to grab for your worldly power to control them, maybe even threaten them to change that behavior? Or do you want to reach for gospel power? Considering what does it look like for God's power to transform your kid's heart? A gentleness that the Holy Spirit can bring. Maybe a slow to anger that only comes from God. What does it look like to say, how can God's power change my kid and me in this? Because it, that's what it's about. What happens this work when you get an email coming into your inbox? Do you decide to posture yourself in a way so you look smarter or better? Or maybe take the easy grab for power and just making someone else look worse? Or can you be empowered by God to step down from uh, a God who stepped down from his position as ruler of the heavens and earth? He came to wash people's feet, to suffer on a cross, to die for you. What if you embrace that power that allows you to serve well, knowing your position in Christ and maybe even allowing others to look better? What if you were known as a servant and not as a ruler? Maybe it's just in the way we talk this week, the way we talk to others about how, how we look, maybe trying to make ourselves look strong or smart or the funniest, whatever it is to hold that certain position. What if we let go of that and instead let the gospel heal us, heal our broken hearts that cannot walk, allowing them to walk and jump for joy, causing us to be good listeners and care well, be generous and thankful in our time. Let us not, friends, be duped into thinking that the power that is offered in this world will actually satisfy or even change our world. Let us cling to the one who brings saving power and healing. Let's be vessels of a power that does change this world.